Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, April the 18th, 2023, bright and early on the west coast of the United States in San Francisco, where I always broadcast. Last week, I uh, did a show with Margot Jefferson, one of America's most formidable intellectuals, a writer, a cultural critic, um, won all sorts of awards. Uh, she has a new book out, or the paperback of a new book, Constructing a Nervous System, a memoir. It's a memoir of this remarkable woman, but of course, for most of you, as you already know, she's a, an African-American woman, and her idea of constructing a nervous system, I think, is very much focused in, his, in her memoir on her blackness, on her African-American uh, heritage and all the issues surrounding it. In fact, in the book, uh, she kind of writes a letter to Willa Cather, one of America's white writers, who uh, Margot is, to be polite, rather ambivalent about. This issue of relations between white and black women is something that's come up time and time again on the show. We did one a uh, couple of years ago with the writer Kyla Schuler. Uh, who offered a counter-history to white feminism. Uh, her book is The Trouble with White Women, a counter-history of feminism in which she addresses the white-centric nature of traditional American feminism. We are revisiting that area today, the relations between white and black women, uh, with my guest, uh, Kimberly Yolanda Williams. Uh, her paperback came out last year, Dear White Woman, Please Come Home. Uh, the audiobook is just out, and Kimberly is joining us from Seattle, Washington. Uh, Kimberly, congratulations on, um, on the audiobook uh, of, of Dear White Woman. Uh, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with, uh, with the work of Margot Jefferson? I'm not sure if you are. I think if, if you're not, you'd find her work very interesting. I, I think you've given me something to take a look at because I'm super interested in hearing about it. Um, so let's get to the book. It has an incredibly provocative title, Dear White Woman, Please Come Home. Hand me your bias and I'll show you our connection. Is that a kind of trade, Kimberly? If, if white women will acknowledge their bias, then that will enable a degree of intimacy? Yes, yes, because we all, believe it or not, we, we carry so, all of us carry so many biases from our socialization and our upbringing and our day-to-day -day lives, honestly. And, and we, what we don't realize is that a lot of the biases that we hold are the same biases that the person next to us hold in some way, shape or form. And we can actually get closer. We can grow closer by sharing those out loud or giving I always say give air to the things that we are afraid to share with one another. I mentioned the, the Shula book. Um, I'm not sure, if, again, if you're familiar with it, The Trouble with White Women, A Counter-History of Feminism. In, in your mind, is has feminism been monopolized by white women? Oh, absolutely. And, and I, but I think it goes back, I think what's going on in the news today 
it's, it makes it seem like it's new or it's brand new, but it's but it's not. It goes way, way, way back um, where Black women weren't even seen as feminine. And we know of the struggles that uh, some of our athletes, Black women athletes have faced where they haven't been considered feminine enough, right? Or that they've been um, troped as um, ugly, right? Or not soft enough. And so it's it's almost, I hate to say it, but it's almost a stage for a play that was set hundreds of years ago that Black women would be left out of the conversation, the the national con or even international conversation on feminism. It wasn't, you know, everybody started with the picture of the, what was the march called? The Women's March um, where... Black, you you didn't see black women in the photos, but it began long before that. Long before that. It's interesting when I was talking to uh, Margot, uh, she has a memorable section in her book on Ella Fitzgerald mm. and Ella Fitzgerald's body. Uh, Margot had a an upper class upbringing. She's an unusual woman in that her parents were very prosperous. Her father was a doctor. And she was always troubled by Ella Fitzgerald because she had a large body and she sweated on stage and she didn't conform to mm. traditional white notions of beauty or elegance. Right. Does that uh, resonate with you as well? You know what? It, it took me a long time to get here, but I've had to um, give up on trying to fit into that mold and because it meant uh, stuffing down the natural parts of who I am, right? Like my hair, my voice, my laughter even. Um, my laughter was something that was uh, policed and and um, stuffed down. And now I just embrace all of who I am. And if that's too much for some of the white women around me uh, or for anyone, I that's just too bad. I show up as my authentic self most of the time, unless I'm not feeling well. <laughs> you say you, you use the word police, uh, Kimberly, that's a, a, a strong word. Is there a police or is this unspoken, but mm. nonetheless authoritative and restrictive, repressive? Well, I've, I've actually been told by uh, white women in positions of power that my laugh is something that is disgusting and that I should mute. <laughs> I've been told directly. So it wasn't even like um, hinted at. I've actually been told directly. Disgusting meaning what? Obnoxious, ugly, um, obnoxious, obnoxious, mm -hmm. or uh, and disruptive. But aren't you falling, or are we in danger of falling into cultural stereotypes? On the other hand, that black women laugh louder, uh, that they sweat on stage, that they're different. Are there differences in your view, Kimberly, biologically, culturally, between white and black women? Biologically, no. Biologically, no. Culturally. Um, and, and, and this is what I, I, what a lot of people have trouble when I say this out loud, we talk about white women and black women in regards to skin color, but, you know, I was just at a workshop a few days ago that I was giving and I said, listen, what if we're talking about a black infant that was adopted by white people, then that black infant does not generally, um, subscribe to the stereotypes of black culture. So that, that infant, no matter what color it is is raised in white culture and they behave in a way that is seen as normal in white culture, whether they have brown skin or white skin. And so uh, I say this is a lot more about culture than it is about quote unquote race because culture is what drives us. Col the culture that we were brought up in is what, or the socialization that we were brought up in is what drives us. So biologically there is no difference, right? Um, that's been proven scientifically, but uh, culturally, uh, depending on where we are raised and where we are socialized uh, and how we're brought up, 
that's where those differences lie. Yes. Kimberly, I wonder if um, there are now two Americas. There's the America of mixed cultures, mixed races, mixed heritages. Um, and there's the America that clings obstinately to its specific cultural identity. It may not just be white, may also be black. Do you think there's some truth to that? 100%. 100%. Um, because what's what we're not willing to acknowledge in this country is that slowly but surely those those stark dividing lines that were um that were drawn so long ago in this country are are slowly disappearing and we're having to so these conversations that we're having become more and more complicated because we can't draw those lines as clearly as we used to be able to and so we're having to shift the conversation and if we don't catch up with what's what with what's happening the reality of it versus the narrative about it if we don't catch up our conversations become uh, irrelevant they become obsolete because it no longer applies right um and so that is um that's something that we definitely are struggling with and facing. Your your book um, is made up of a series of letters to white women, uh, and you you stress the fact that um, you're enabling, if if these letters are read correctly, um, authentic friendship. Do you think that many white women white women haven't always got the best press recently, especially right. since Black Lives Matter? Um, right. Are, are white women, and I know this is a bit of a generalization, but are, are many white women um, hungry for authentic friendships, whether with white or black women? Yes. Uh, and I, I, I put the word and after that, yes, because I, again, I was just on the road. I, I, I feel like a zombie because I'm so tired. I was just on the road in Phoenix um, and gave some workshops at a huge conference where I got to talk to a lot of white women and they said that the fear, the fear of losing the benefits that they have every day of belonging to their families, their neighborhoods, their systems, um, that fear competes with that longing. And sometimes the fear wins out. Sometimes that longing for that authentic relationship is not enough to abandon um, cultural practices that have governed their, governed their lives for as long as they have been alive. So sometimes that fear wins out because that fear can lead to that paralysis that prevents you and me from being in relation, authentic relationship with one another. Are we in a danger though of, shall we say, um, stereotyping black women here? Um, one of the conversations uh, with uh, um, with Margot Jefferson was about Hattie McDaniel, um, the American actress, uh, African-American actress, uh, who was the first black woman to win an Oscar for her performance as Mammy in Gone with the Wind back in 1939. Again, mm -hmm. a very, I guess on the one hand, you might think of it as authentic, but also the stereotypical idea of this large, friendly, loving black woman who, of course, looked after white women. I know you address this issue, maybe not of Hattie, McDonald, uh, Mc, Hattie McDaniel, but of the this, this historic relationship between black and white women. Yes, yes. Um, and, and, it's, and here's the sad part about that, right? Like the sad part about that is we, 
and I, again, I share this a lot in workshops on the road, is that we, whether we want to or not, um, show up in all of our historical relevance and patterns. And so I, I like to say to people that we show up in the role that we have been assigned historically, whether we want to or not. And so a, a good example is what you just brought up, that role of the Black woman caring for white children or the Black woman taking care of white adults even, right? Um, and so, and how that shows up in workshops is that, you know, my workshops aren't this or that, like all of us are coming together in those workshops in those spaces, but they can be very emotionally heavy. And the moment, I am telling you, the moment that a white woman um, starts crying or she feels uncomfortable or she, um, or she looks to be troubled or uneasy in any way, in any way, the women of color without even, I mean, when I tell you without even um, intentionally meaning to, they jump to the rescue. They jump to the rescue. So you will become Hattie McDaniel. <laughs> yes. And I tell, I have to literally say these words. And, and, and every time that I say them, they are piercing. And they, and, and women of color, you know, they tear up a little bit and they say, wow, I hadn't even thought about the fact that that's how it was showing up. I say, listen, we are no longer responsible for rocking the white baby. Let the baby cry, right? The, even doctors will tell you crying for an infant is good to develop lungs. Let the baby cry. We don't have to rock the white baby anymore. And, you, and, then, the, and then Andrew, the, the tears are like, the tears just keep coming. <laughs> the tears is coming even more, but it's, it's something that we've been asked to show up as for decades and decades and decades. And that was obviously, and don't need me to tell you this, a legacy of slavery, because that was yeah. one of your, meaning black America, black, black females' jobs, is to look after white people's children. Yes. So you're seeing America from an interesting perspective. You're, you're, you, you, you keep on mentioning these, these workshops. Um, you are... You are going around the country. I mean, you've written this book. You're going around the country, giving these workshops, trainings and presentations, one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with the promise, hand me your bias and I'll show you our connection. Who's showing up to these things? Are these white women who are full of guilt or are curious or are simply bored? No, um, I would say, and so, I, listen, Andrew, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and tell me how racist my book is. And I say, that means that the book wasn't written for you, right? The book is not for the person that doesn't even know that they're referred to as white in this country. The book is not for that person. The book is for the person that's already on the path, doing their work and wanting to engage deeper. And because they're, and when I say doing their work, you know, in this country, that phrase has so much power and, and, and even dividing power. When I say doing their work, I say they're doing the work of racial identity development because whether we wanna believe in race or not, it's how we've been divided in this country. It's what this country, the, the division is what this country is built on. But so when I say they're doing their work, they're showing up to these workshops because they wanna go deeper in that work. And they, and they do long for authentic connection across difference. And when I say authentic connection, I don't mean that like I see you in the hallway and it's like, good morning, how, you know, happy Monday, or, you know, I don't mean that. I mean that, you know, I, I had a white woman in a workshop say to me, you know, and she had started crying, Kim, I want to be your friend. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's pause. And let me ask you because I'm open to engaging in authentic relationship with you. 
are you the person that shows up? And we, I touch on this in the book, the journey of um, my dad's passing and what that was like for my family, uh, my dad's death. And I say, are you the person that shows up to my dad's funeral with the carnation and the card? Or are you the person that I called the night that I found out he passed away or the day that I found out that he passed away? And those are two very different relationships, right? And so, um, and she and she said, you know, she kind of leaned in and then she pulled away and she said, I need to think about that, right? Because that's what I'm asking people to engage in. The relationships that go beneath the surface, the surface that we've been taught um, is fr friendship. <laughs> so um, that's what I'm asking people to do. I, I, pre I presume, Kimberly, that you have black friends as well who bring their oh, carnations, <laughs> who you're not calling. Um, mm -hmm. And that uh, there are some black women you're very close to, others you're not, some you don't like, some you're ambivalent yes. about, some you don't trust. Isn't the same true of white women or are there generalizations one can make? Um, I would say both and. I would say both and. Uh, black women are born into this inherent. And I don't know. I Honestly, I will say this is something that I'd love to look into. I don't know what it comes from other than the fact that we had to bond together and stick together in times where we were enslaved. Uh, but we have, we're born into this inerrant sisterhood that we have. So it means that, you know, um, one of my favorites most recently in the winter, I was in the grocery store and a black woman that I didn't know looked at me and she said, sis, you have to tell me where you got that coat from. I love your coat. And that is completely normal, right? I had never met her and I stopped to talk to her about my coat and we called each other sis. That, that is normal for us. Um, I will not say that it's normal for all of us because we aren't a monolith and not all of us are raised in traditional or stereotypical um, communities. But uh, when I reach across the aisle and I, and I share these things with white women, most of the time they show up with tears and they say, I don't know what that feels like. That so you think there's a, there's a degree of envy. White women would like to have that cis to hood. Right, right, right. And why don't they? And you know what? I I will I will quote a white woman that I was talking to on Saturday at the conference. She said, "We are taught individualism above all. We are not taught one for you know what what we used to say when I was a kid, one for all and all for one." She's like, "No, we were never taught that. We were taught individualism traditionally above everything else." So they were taught that other women are rivals. That right, right. Life is a zero sum game, and if you zero win, sum. someone else has to lose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this mm -hmm. true? I mean, obviously, race is not just black and white in America. Right. There's many other groups, Hispanics in particular. How do they fit into this? Oh, I I was just in a beautiful circle of people of color at the conference uh, last week, and. I got to have these conversations with women of color or people of color in general, um, not just women. And I will tell you, there were a lot of tears and a lot of stories. And most of those stories were mirror images of the stories that come out of the Black community. So it, even though we are um, all these different little pockets, like the, the Latine community, there were um, Asian American and Pacific Islanders in this room. There were Black, uh, black women and other, uh, I'm sorry, not Black women, Black people and other people of color in this group. Or, uh, and there were biracial and multiracial folks too, not in the same room, but a different space, who all had the same stories, who all had the same stories. Is this a question of power and... Um... Um, economic and cultural. I mean, I, I assume around the world we could find countries where whites were in a minority. And if they mm -hmm. are, do you think that those whites would 
fit into the world that you deal with? Um, I, I think I honestly, I think when we go out into a, a country where whites are not in the majority, I think that it depends on the way that they are socialized, right? Because I know of white folks that have left the, um, the United States of America more recently and have gone over and are living in a minority position in countries of, uh, of color, right? But those people are already adults that were raised here in the United States that carry those traditions and those values with them. Um, and, and that behavior until they've um, acculturated to the new, um, the new life that they are living or the new country and traditions that they are living in. And it's hard to give up the way that we are raised. It's hard to unlearn what we have learned and being, being reinforced. But it seems to me that America is special because of the history of slavery. I mean, there is yes. racism all over the world, of course, but America, it may not be unique, um, but there is something about this profound, uh, absurd hypocrisy between it being the land of democracy and freedom and also of slavery and a right. slavery rooted in race and skin color that right. underlines this problem in this country. Yes. 100%. We're not, a lot of us are not willing to admit it, but it is the truth. It is the truth. When you say a lot of us are not willing to admit it, uh, who are you in particular are you talking about? Um, I feel like the folks in power in this country, and sometimes that is not just folks that are white. It's, it's like we want to pretend that this country, I remember when Barack Obama was elected the first time and we said, we're in a post, a post racial era. And I thought to myself, no, we're not. Like Barack Obama being elected means uh, means a lot for this country, but at the same time means nothing for race relations in this country. It means nothing, means nothing. It means that people got, a, got out and voted. That's what it means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're living in a post-racial era. If that were true, we wouldn't have all the, the news stories that we have in this country. White women haven't had a great press recently. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you make of this cultural backlash against them, against their sense of privilege? Of course, it's in parallel with the, the national conversation about the police, uh, who are mostly white men. But I have to admit, I've been rather surprised and intrigued by this cultural attack and undermining of, of white women. How do you make sense of it? You know... <sighs> Honestly, I and I, I know a lot of people will not agree with what I'm getting ready to say. We'll so, say it. The more the more disagreeable you are on my show, Kimberly, the better. <laughs> well, I'm gonna say exactly what I think here. I feel like the what we have seen happen um with white women in the news, I feel like someone has gotten a camera and now we live in a situation or not situation in a culture where there are cameras everywhere. Everything that you do is being videotaped all the time. But I feel like like if you can imagine um, you getting out of the shower in your most like intimate moment and mm. like uh, and your hand resting on something that you're allergic to on the bathroom counter and a camera being there to to capture your body's response to that allergen. I think that is what that is what is happening to white women in these um, videos, right? Because they've been trained to behave a certain way and to respond, and anything outside of this certain way of uh, what I've been trained to do or say or be is an allergen. And when I have that allergic reaction, and that camera is there to film it, 
it does create this awful narrative about them. And I'm, and I'm not rocking, and people say, Kim, you're rocking the white baby. I'm not. I'm saying that they have not been trained. They have not been trained. Like, I don't know if you remember, Andrew, the, the video where the guy, and I'm laughing because I felt so bad. I mean, the, I was thinking that the one in Central Park is the one. <laughs> oh, gosh, my goodness, my goodness. That one like, is astonishing. Like, it was almost like the woman went into a trance and she went back hundreds of years and she showed up like her great, 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 great grandmother would have. Right. And so what we haven't worked out or what we haven't been willing to discuss is how all of us again, and this happens whether you are white or not, how we show up in our historical roles when the, when, when our emotions are high or when the stakes are high, we show up in those emotional roles, right? When I ask, I can interview the people that were in my workshop and say, do you feel like when you come into this workshop today that you have to care for white women? And they would say, no, I do not feel that way. And then they go into the, the workshop and the emotions are, are raised and, and, and tensions are high and they immediately like clockwork, like they become unplugged and they go back in history and they show up as that mammy and they wanna reach out. And, and this is not just black women. Watch this, Andrew. I watched this happen in the last week with all of the women of color that I saw. All of them wanted to reach out and rock that baby and put it back to sleep. No, no, no don't be uncomfortable. No, don't, no, don't be upset, right? And so whether, and so what I see white women doing is showing up in the historical role that they have been assigned. And, and it's taken that allergen, right? That walk in the park with the black man that, oh, triggering, I'm going right back to, right, that, that original movie yeah. that America loves so much, right? Like, we're, we, that's the trigger, just like a bee sting is a trigger for people that are allergic to it, or a mosquito bite is a trigger for people that are allergic to it. We're watching allergic, alert, and I'll put that in quotes, allergic reactions happen, and they're happening on camera. And then you're watching husbands, white husbands say, I'm sorry, my wife must be suffering some mental illness, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because they don't even know what to say about it. They're like, I don't know what happened to her. She unfolded. Well, in that this woman in the park, I can't remember her name. I, she had the, the same last name as the guy. Really. As the guy, right? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, but um, she got flayed, barbecued in the media. She lost oh, her yes. job. She was yes. humiliated. A couple of questions on, on this case. Firstly, was it appropriate? And secondly, had she perhaps read your book, uh, mm. Dear White Woman, Please Come Home, before going out in the park, mm. do you think she might have behaved slightly differently? Oh, absolutely. I think she would have said to herself, because this is what I walk people through in, in workshops, Andrew. I don't want you to shy away. I teach people how to say when they're experiencing in the moment in the moment, the charge, right? The charge, because America is not just black and white. I share openly how I have been trained to have negative um, bodily responses to being in the presence of those that are visibly Muslim, right? Even though I have friends that are Muslim, I still have a bodily response to being in the presence of those that are visibly Muslim. I have that response whether I want to or not, because that's how I've been socialized. And the way that I disarm that response is to speak openly about it. So had she had she had read my book or attended a workshop before she had gone into that park, she would have recognized that in her body that physical response was happening and she would have called it out. She would have said, 
here I go with my my bias against black men. No, I'm not going to deal with that today. I'm not. even. No, I feel like calling the police because I feel like my life is in danger. I've been trained to feel this way. And it's, it's stupid. It's stupidity. And I refuse to I refuse to engage with that feeling. That is not who I am. That's who I've been trained to be. And she would have been able to uh, divorce herself from that that feeling in that moment, even though it feels very real in your body, that panic, that fear. And if we are honest, we again, if we are honest, Andrew, all of us have been trained to have that about a certain group of people, whether it be race, gender, class, physical ability, um, body size. I can't tell you how many times I have had people stare at my breast while talking to me. I was born into a curvy body and I've got breasts for days and people stare at them while they're talking to me because they haven't been taught how to be around breasts this large. But like, that's a thing. That's a thing. So I, so I don't, so again, I know that what I'm saying is controversial, but what she, what she was experiencing in that park was the same thing I experience when I'm in the presence of those that are visibly Muslim. And, and, Again, do I engage with that? Do I go with that? No, I disarm it or I divorce myself from it in the moment by calling it out. I don't wait for somebody else to call it out. I know that it's there because I know how my family raised me. I know how my community raised me. I know how this country around September the 11th socialized me. So the, the subtitle of the book is um, Please Come Home. Is that Overpromising in a way, the idea of please come home, meaning that they're they're homeless and that they need a home. Are you falling into your own stereotype here? Are you rocking the white baby? Well, I love that you said that because I want to break those into two different pieces. That please says, I am tired. I am tired of those that look like you, like those other white women out here. That and you know, and then all the stories that that follow in the book. That please is saying, please. I say, I tell, I always review with people on the road. Get your people, and I say, who are your people? And they say, like other white people, you know. And so that please says, I'm tired. But that come home is like, listen, all this work about feminism, this feminism, that women's empowerment, this women's empowerment, that home is that sisterhood. Home is that home. Like when you're playing tag. Uh, when we were here in uh, elementary school playing tag and you run back to quote unquote home base, home is the sisterhood. Because if you and I work together, we are so much stronger together than we are apart. But if there's no room for me to tell you, and this is my favorite phrase, and I always tell people, I say, write it down and use it. When that which is normal to you lands poorly on that which is normal to me, you and I start butting heads and end up in conflict. And that's every, and when you talk about like kids being killed over music being too loud or the way they're dressed, pants being worn too low or all the all these things, all these things. Again, that's that which is normal to you clashing with that which is normal to me. And we and and what is normal to us is rooted and grounded in the groups that we have been separated into. And so when I say come home, I'm saying come home, come back to home base. And let's agree that this is a, our relationship is a place of safety. It's a place of safety because that's what we prefer over the individualism and the separation and the division. And I know, again, I know that's controversial, but I'm willing I'm willing to stand out here on my own if I have to and say we are stronger together. Let's figure it out. Well, let's end, Kimberly, Kimberly with um, a reference to the men. Uh, mm-hmm. haven't talked about them yet. You mentioned some of the white husbands who are embarrassed with the behavior of their wives. 
Mm. Is there a, a place here for, for the man? And, and is there a, a similar book perhaps for white men written by a, a black uh, Kimberly Yolanda Williams, <laughs> a, a, a male Kimberly Yolanda Williams, or is you it a different what? world? You know what? I don't know, but you're not the first person to ask me that. And I, what my heart has been most surprised by in this journey is the men that have reached out to me and said, you know, I wasn't going to read this book because I thought it was for women. Um, and I am writing you this letter while I'm crying. I am crying tears of how this book touched me and how I can contribute to women being treated better and women being um, liberated, being liberated to join that sisterhood and to have that support system. And, and they've written those reviews on Amazon, like, you know, I, as a man, read this book and I, you know, and so it's, um, it's definitely... Um, the book has embraced those that are not women, those that are not on the binary and those that are men. And, uh, and, and it has been, it's been, it's been such a fulfilling part of this journey, but I have been asked, Kim, will you write a book called dear white man, please come home. 